Hello, and welcome to this episode of Sticky Note Marketing. I am your host, Mary Zarnecki, and this is your source for what's working now in marketing and strategies to apply today, this week, this month to grow your business. So I'm super excited to bring you our next expert in our guest expert series today. Today, you're going to be hearing from Anthony Butler. Now, Anthony Butler is not just the founder of a digital marketing agency, Can Do Ideas, but he's also the creator of Primal Storytelling Content System. So we're going to be digging a little bit into what that content system is all about. And Anthony, thank you for being here today with us. Hey, I appreciate you having me on, Mary. Uh, I really love getting the word out about Primal Storytelling. Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit. I know some of the folks who may be listening might already be familiar with your book and your program, but for those who haven't met you before or haven't gotten to learn a little bit about what you do, tell us just a little bit about, you know, how you got to where you are now. Yeah. So years ago, uh, I was in the army. I enlisted as a mechanic and eventually went to West Point, was commissioned as an infantry officer, fought in Iraq, was an airborne ranger. Um, after the army, I got out and I ended up in the startup world in sales. And I just, by the luck of the draw, ended up at a startup in New York City that I got there. I was on their sales team as, you know, like employee number 50 something. And when I left, there were hundreds of employees and, you know, it's a, a really, really um, amazing exit to a big public company. Well, while I was there, I wanted leads and I wanted to grow my, my sales business. And, you know, I had a young family at home and was trying to make money and, you know, in a small company, you know, especially when, you know, growth at any cost was kind of the the theme is I ended up doing marketing, you know, and I ended up doing a lot of marketing for myself and learning the messaging for the company because we didn't have it because it was a startup. Mm-hmm. And that led me down this kind of entrepreneurial path where I left there and, I went and I started a sales and marketing team for another tech company and helped them scale and sell. And then I founded a number of companies myself. And then about 10 years ago, I, you know, I was leaving one company. I was like, you know, what do I want to do? What do I really, really want to do? And I realized, you know, marketing was it. And I started doing content for tech companies. That's where we first got our started, you know, for SaaS companies primarily. And First two years was awesome. Like we were just killing it. We grew really big. We did six figures in our first six months. Um, you know, and I, I know what I'm doing and I was doing really well. And about 18 months, two years in, I get a call from this CEO that we've been working for. We'd only been working for them for like maybe four or five months. And he's like, Hey, Tony, listen, um, hate to say this, you know, you guys are on time. The work is good. Everything's professional. Um, he's like, but we got to let you go. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah. And, and basically what happened was they fired us because we weren't producing enough results for them to measure ROI. Okay. Now, if you've ever been in the agency world, you know, losing clients is a kiss of death. I was like, oh my God, like, what, what do I do? And I started looking across all of our clients. I'm like, what is the issue? Like, like why, why is one client blowing up with content? And these guys, you know, we blogged for them. We, we, we posted on social three times a day and, you know, we did all this stuff and I couldn't figure it out. I could not figure out like what was the difference. And 
you know, so I'm doing all this research into why does some content go viral and some doesn't. And I go to this business conference down in San Diego with um, a guy, maybe you've heard of him, Darren Hardy, mm-hmm. like a self, self-help self business guru. You know, I, I did a three-day intensive with him. Okay. And on, on day two, he's like up on stage and he's talking about marketing. He's like, you know, people buy emotionally. They buy everything emotionally. And then we justify with logic. And it's something I'd heard before. Everyone's heard it. It's it's almost a cliche in marketing, right? But then I started asking questions like, well, what emotions like, what are the emotions? Like, how do we, how do we measure? Like, where do they come from? And that launched me into this rabbit hole of scientific um, evidence around emotional buying, which led me to discovering um, evolutionary psychology and primal urges. Okay. So the idea behind evolutionary psychology and primal urges is that, you know, if you look in the animal kingdom, Geese fly south for the winter, right? It's genetically encoded behavior. They don't, they don't go west. They don't go on vacation in Hawaii. They fly south. Squirrels gather nuts, you know, for winter. Well, humans, we've overcome any instincts that we may have had at one time. We don't have those anymore because we can. We have free will. We can decide to do anything that we want. But here's one thing: is you still have the urges. Like you still have that urge, like you hear a baby cry, like it's like this piercing cry, like you jump up, even if it's not your baby, like it's, you can't stop it because it's, it's genetically encoded for you to react to a crying baby. Same thing. There's lots and lots of research around smiling babies and why we love smiling babies. You know, why do we love, like, why are funny kitty videos, the number one video in the world, like Google funny kitty videos, you know, there's 150 million results. Like, why is that? And, and, and there's, there's actually a scientific explanation and it's because mammals and baby mammals specifically have characteristics that are genetically encoded for us to want to protect them. You know, and my, my wife, you know, I had two little babies and she, she, uh, her, her theory is, is that cute is what keeps babies alive because, you know, as you know, if you've ever had a colicky baby, there's like, ah, it's the pain and suffering. Evolutionary psychology also led me to storytelling. And, you know, one of the things we know is storytelling predates the invention of fire. It's a completely unique human trait. It's something that every culture has, every language has. There's no one who doesn't tell stories. The next time you go to a party, just sit in the back and just listen. Everyone's like, oh, I got this boss. You should hear what he did. You know, oh, I was in a car accident. You should see what my mom did. You know, just this, all this stuff. That's what we do is we tell stories. Mm-hmm. And then you look in marketing and you're like, oh, have you ever read a big corporate blog? You're like, who wrote this? Who is this for? Like, why would I ever read this? <laughs> okay, it's a cure for insomnia. And we, for some reason, there's this corporate disease where we think we have to, you know, write professionally and, and it's just not true. Mm-hmm. And so what I realized was the reason we failed with that client is there was no emotion in any of the content we, we created. It was all written for the search engines and for bots and to be SEO friendly. It wasn't written for humans. And that's why the subtitle of the book is marketing for humans. Mm-hmm. Like we're not marketing to be number one on Google. No one cares. Mm-hmm. We're marketing for people because if you're in B2B or you're in B2C, you know what? You're still marketing to people. 
there's no company in the world that ever bought anything. It was somebody in that company who got together with a team and said, you know what? We have a problem. We got, we need to solve it. We need to hire someone. We need to buy something. We need, we need resources. We need a tool. And the key element that I think we've, and you see this in these kind of SEO focused marketing agencies is they're completely data driven and they're separate from humanity. Mm-hmm. They're separate from why we buy things and what are the actual emotions. And one of the most important emotions, and if you take nothing else from this, this conversation, although I'm doing all the talking, so I'm going to shut up in a minute so you can ask a question, <laughs> is what is the social signal of why we buy something? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because social sh- signals, believe it or not, whether you realize them or not, Everything that we do is a social signal. So the car that you drive, it says something about you and what you think of yourself and what you think the signal is that you're going to send to your, to your tribe, to your people, you know, like think about a car. You can buy a car for a thousand bucks. It might not look too good. It might not drive well, but it still provides transportation all the way up to, you know, some supercar that costs millions and millions of dollars. Well, each car has a different story that it tells and a different way that it makes you feel and a different social signal that it sends. Okay. I was down in Austin, Texas last week and there's a, there's an area downtown, they call it the domain. I don't know if you know Austin at all. And it's, it's mm-hmm. a big startup hop in. I have a client down there and I'm with the CEO. We're outside and we're eating dinner and the weather's beautiful. And right across this little plaza from us was valet parking you know, we're there and Bentley, Lamborghini, Maserati, Maserati, Tesla, 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 like Tesla's like, those are Volkswagens down in in Austin right now, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And, you know, him and I were laughing. I was like, we just, we've seen millions of dollars in cars and just in 20 minutes, like, it's like a car show and ask yourself, what is the signal? Why do you spend 400,000, $500,000 on that car? You know, is it just because you can, or is it because that's your sign of success to your tribe? Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, why do, you know, very, very rich individuals, why do they buy the super mansion? Why do they buy the super yacht? Mm -hmm. Are they having more fun? Are they sleeping more? Are they, you know, is there something that, that are missing? It's, it's a signal. It's a signal. And unconsciously, even for small purchases, like, like think about like you're wearing a pair of earrings right now. Why those earrings? Why not short diamonds? Why not pearls? Why why not like a giant necklace? You know, and, and there's personal style and, you know, all of these things, but it has to do with how they make yourself feel and the signal that you're going to send. When you start to think of primal urges and social signals and why people buy, and then you start to learn about your own audience, your marketing is going to get way easier. And you're going to be able to connect with an audience in a way that you just can't if you're just data driven. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you you touched on several different things that just you know yeah. light me up because it's exactly what I <clears throat> I wish people understood more. So I just want to go back to a couple of the different things that you touched on briefly and just unpack them if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm sorry. I no no I talk about I love this it. all the time, so I tend to just talk and talk and talk. No, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So I mean. 
I think one of the reasons why I love um, the way that you help people understand story and and connecting with people at this different level is, you know, I, I my first degree was in ecology and evolutionary biology. And so oh. it all became real when I had kids too, because I have two boys, they're, you know, right. nine and 11 now, but I firmly ascribe to the belief that your wife also shares, it seems like that if they weren't <laughs> cute, I'm not sure that... <laughs> Our relationship yeah, yeah. Cute is a self-defense mechanism. The cuter the kid, the worse they are, right? <laughs> no, it's like, thank but, you yeah. for making them cute. Because otherwise, well, it would be a lot harder. <laughs> you know, I run a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school, and we have a really big kids program. <laughs> and anyone who says there's no difference between boys and girls has never never had kids. Like, like I have, I have this group of like four to seven-year-old kids, right? Hmm. And the boys come in and they're a wild of, you know, they're a band of wild savages and the girls come in and they learn the moves and they listen. And, you know, it's like, it's like this stark, stark difference. And it's, it's the reason that in jujitsu, like girls dominate, Mm -hmm. like from, uh, from five to like 11 in Brazilian jujitsu, girls absolutely dominate all the brackets because they're, we mix the kids together Mm -hmm. because they can listen and the boys can't listen at all. And they just want to, they want to fight and wrestle with each other from the moment they come in the door. Yeah. yeah, no, it's totally true. I'm glad. I'm glad my kids were cute. When <laughs> Otherwise, we'd be in a lot of trouble. But it's interesting too, because I mean, I love what you were saying about um, that. There was no emotional con- connection in the content for that one client that wasn't having success. Because yeah. you know, one of my biggest pet peeves is marketing teams, and then also sometimes creative partners or either internal or external agencies is marketing for marketing sake or creativity for creativity sake, right? I mean, right. I've worked with teams that have brought me in for marketing strategy or, or consulting to basically say, well, our advertising is not working. Is it because we're not communicating effectively with our agency? We're not writing good briefs. We don't have good strategy. Like what's, what's wrong? And I was like, well, what direction did you give when you hired this new agency? And they were like, well, we told them to create award-winning advertising. I was like, well, have they won awards? Yes, but we're not making any sales. I'm like, well, <laughs> they did exactly right. what you asked them to do. Well, so you hit you hit you hit one of my pet peeves is is Canes. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, we're gonna give awards. You know, come come to France. Like, well, guess what? I don't care about awards at all. <laughs> you know, I, I care about results. I want right. to make sales. You know, and I, I think a lot of the businesses that are focused on branding. You know, those are the companies that are buying Super Bowl ads that do nothing that mm-hmm. are, you know, that are putting out millions and millions of dollars worth of commercials that, as you say, they, they have no results to show. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not what primal storytelling is. It's not, it's not the purpose of it at all. Yeah, It's for leads just to move the needle, you know, and, and I, I think it takes a certain level of pragmatist and a right kind of mind to understand that there's this, there's kind of like, if you have a chart, there's kind of this cross area between really smart and good creative. And on the flip side of that is pragmatic results driven marketing. Mm-hmm. And we want to do both, you know, and obviously the, the one thing that I can say is if you have good creative, you can have good results it's not like they're, they're opposites, um, you know, and obviously everyone wants to have good creative and they, they would love to win an award, but they also want to have results. I would rather have ugly ads that work than 
pretty ads that don't work. <laughs> no, 100%. 100%. You know, I mean, it's it's nice to get the the award and having, you know, the social proof or the credibility. But at the end of the day, what what is that going to do for you if you're not still in business, right? So, yeah. so what would you say or if someone was listening to this and thinking, okay, well, how do I know this approach could help me? What are the two or three things that you're hearing people say to themselves that are real indicators of like, okay, I you need to listen up. This is what I've got to tell you. <laughs> well, the first question that I ask every company is who do you really want to work with? Mm. Because you get all of this, oh, we want to work with people in real estate. We want to work with, we want to work with, you know, business to business companies. Well, guess what? That's just not, it's not narrow enough mm-hmm. because if you went online right now, and you started watching YouTube 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the next 50 years, you won't even finish a single hour of new content that's going to be put up on that on that platform, okay? And what's my point? My point is, is that the internet is noisier than ever. And if you don't know exactly who you're marketing to, you're never going to be able to reach them. You know, and like, let me, let me give you just a, another example, Okay. Attention follows interest and that interest is self-interest. It's not interest in what you do. Like no one cares. No one cares what Tony Butler wants. Like no one cares. I care. Maybe my wife cares a little bit, like 10%, but no one else cares, right? So if you talk about yourself and you talk about what you do and that's it, like your marketing is not going to work, okay? You have to focus on your audience and know who they are as people, not just their industry and their title. Like, what problem are they solving? What are their hopes and dreams? Like, like what is driving them? Why are they reaching out to you? Why do they not want to work with you? Like, what's the fear that might, like, for instance, at one time I was helping this giant IT company. I mean, they're like one of the biggest in the whole country, maybe in the, even in the world. And they wanted to break into the SMB market in New York City and they were just, their sales team was just failing. They were going on appointment after appointment after appointment, no sales. And, you know, I engaged with them and they're asking us to do some content for them. And I was fighting with them because of the kind of content they were doing. And, you know, it was just really bland and it wasn't, it was for just for nobody. It was for the search engines. And so I, I agree to go on some sales calls as a, you know, just an observer. So I go on three sales calls with these guys. And they go in there and they're meeting with companies from, you know, 75 to 200 people. And, you know, so there maybe, maybe this company has one or two people on IT staff and then they're outsourcing the rest of it. Right. And so pretty small companies, you know, but doing millions. So, so not, not tiny, but, you know, decent companies. And we go in there and these guys are like, oh yeah, we have, we have global conglomerates are our companies. You know, we have. We have 1,500 people in a call center in India. You know, we have we have 700 employees in New York City. You know, they're like, like talking all these big numbers. And 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 one of the IT managers he asked me he's like, "Have you guys ever worked with a company our size?" And the sales guy had no answer. And and the real answer was no, we haven't. And here is the thing: is he was selling to the wrong market. All of his collateral was for the wrong market. It was like. You know, he, in his head, he, he was working with Fortune 500 companies. And if you were a little mom and pop, you should love that he's working with Fortune 500 companies. No, 
<laughs> it's not the same audience at all. It's not the same sales process. It's not the same marketing process. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just vital. You got to know who you're marketing to. It's totally. Yeah. I had a, a business school professor that once said, well, you don't bring a ribeye to a vegan's birthday party, right? So- <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. You know, my mom is in her seventies, right? She loves to garden. We live in Montana. She likes to grow everything you can imagine. She's got this giant, giant half an acre of different, you know, 500 different kinds of flowers and wildflowers and berries. And then she's got this garden with all these vegetables and stuff. Well, I'm into Brazilian jiu-jitsu and UFC. So do you think if I start marketing the fights to my mom, she's going to care? And she doesn't care about that. She doesn't want to see anybody getting punched in the face. <laughs> For me, I'm like studying about arm bars and what was the latest fight and what were the results and all the, you know, all the shit talking the guys are doing. Like, I'm really into it. It's like, it's my thing. Gardening is her thing. Okay. And, and this is, this seems so simple and it's, um, it, it should be the most obvious thing in the world. Month after month after month for the last five years, I audit companies. I call them, they call me, we talk on the phone. I'm like, who are you marketing to? And they have no idea. They have this aspirational idea of who they think they should work with. And I ask, well, are you working with those people now? No. How long have you been in business? Three years. (laughs) I'm like, well, maybe we should ask these people. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know, and it's like, you have your wishes and wants, and then you have what's real and reality. And I, I always think of it as, I call it the marketing triangle, okay? Mm-hmm. On the left side of the triangle, you have data. And what the data is, it's, oh, bless you. It's who you're marketing to. It's their demographics. It's their psychographics. It's their titles. It's their hopes and dreams. It's all those things on why they might buy or why they might not. Then on the right-hand side of that triangle, you've got stories. What kinds of stories connect? What kinds of content connects? You know, what, what is helping move the needle with them and how can I help? And then at the bottom, you've got the technology that you overlay on your marketing. Like you have to measure things. You've got to have a way of storing the data so that you can get some insight out of it. And if a company is missing any part of the triangle, like the marketing is just not going to work well. You know, it just isn't. Um, so you need tools. You You need to understand your audience, you need the data and you need to also understand story structures and what are the primal urges and emotions that are going to move the needle for your audience. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you're going to start somewhere, if your content marketing is falling flat is look at your audience first. I think that's such a good point. Cause I mean, I don't know about you, but I see it in companies of all sizes, like you're saying, whether it's SMB up to enterprise level, you know what I mean? What do you, what do you think holds people back? Is it a fear of, oh, if I get too narrow, I'm turning money away or yes. I'm afraid I, I I don't actually even know who's been buying my stuff yet? Or what do you think that comes from? What's the core of that? So it's, it's you, you hit, it's both of the things that you just said is like, you know, it's funny. I always, I always ask like, who, who do you think you're marketing to? Mm-hmm. And even small companies, they'll come back to me with like 15 avatars, you know, they're like, <laughs> oh, these are all the audiences that we can, you know, and these are all the industries that we serve and blah, 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 blah. And then I start asking questions and asking questions like, okay, yeah, 15, like which one makes the most money? Oh, 
97% of all of our money comes from this one industry. Oh, and, and it's a subset of that industry. And it's, you know, all women owned businesses, you know, or something, you know, just some yeah. like, some like really interesting granular thing. And then I say, like, you know what? Let's just go after that one tiny niche. Mm-hmm. Because then what happens is if you're trying to speak to everybody on land, on online and you're bland, you're never cutting through the noise. Right. But if you have a message that is for one niche and it's written specifically for them and you speak the same language as them and you're, you understand them and you have empathy for them, everything is easier. Like everything will be amplified. I would much, much rather see a company go after a, a niche that they can really do well with mm-hmm. than try and chase 10 different ones. Um, and actually I, when I work with companies, I usually will tell them, listen, I will not waste your time and try to help you with five, six, seven, eight different, different categories. Three is my preferred. I almost never go above four unless they really, really insist and they get, they've got proof that five or six is going to work. But more than that, it's just a waste of time. You know, unless you're a giant company with resources that you can focus on niches with it's just not the way to go you know um unless you have a giant level you're really becoming a family of brands because there have to be enough differences to serve those different niches right when you look at global corporations you know so you look at something like coca-cola you know and basically coca-cola is in every single country in the world and you know they have you know hundreds of sub brands that they do well they have the resources, they have the focus, they they have the people that can do it. That's why they have brand managers. That's why they have mm-hmm. brand marketers. Mm-hmm. You know, like like this this debacle going on right now with Bud Light. It's it's a it's a great example of this exact thing where they had a line manager who very clearly did not understand her market. She mm-hmm. does not understand her core market. She did not understand the tribe at all. You know, and it's a, you know, I, I talk about in the book how polarization can help you grow, and it can. And, and I'm, if if you if you want an example of how polarization can work for someone, look at Donald Trump. Whether you love or hate, whether you love the guy or you hate him, you don't ignore him. You know who you know what his message is, and that can be beneficial for a brand. But I think what Bud Light has done is they were polarizing in an abrasive way with their current market. You know, I think the last the last few articles I read that they've the stock is down 5 billion, they're they're losing hundreds of millions of dollars in sales. You know, and it's it's not it's not a way to growth. Mm-hmm. Um and I and I I think you know, outside of the controversy, just looking at the marketing side of it and the decision that was made to go down that path, I think it's just a core misunderstanding of who the tribe is and how you might grow in that tribe or expand to a new tribe. Right. Like, I mean, like, like you said, understanding exactly who that tribe is, what percentage of your business is coming from this group. And then it it is a strategic decision to say, okay, we're not going to listen to that group or we're not going to appeal to that group or we're not going to stand with, stand for that group anymore. You're really changing your positioning. I mean, you're changing the entire state of your business by choosing to go down that other route. So for someone who might be listening, who's like, okay, I'd be open to being maybe more polarizing so that I could attract people in a way that that actually they know 
okay, I'm for you, but I'm not for them. That means I'm even more for you. What's, Mm -hmm. what's kind of the good way to get started with maybe getting a little bit more polarizing in your content? How to get more polarizing in content? Oh, that's a good question. So you can start with what you believe that aligns with your target market. Mm -hmm. And there's always this, there's always the great evil empire that you can point to that is the enemy, Mm -hmm. you know? So for private storytelling, maybe my enemy is, you know, those, those stodgy corporate marketers that are only data driven. They're only writing for the search engines. That's my, that's the enemy. Okay. That's the villain villain in this story. And, And, you know, just be careful, be careful. It's, it's easy for, it's easy for polarization or even humor to backfire Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it's hard to to find the fine line between what's really funny and what's offensive mm-hmm. and, and what is, is, could be termed as mean or unkind, you know, and, and, and I think if you're in doubt or if you don't have a lot of experience with it, then just avoid it, mm-hmm. avoid polarization and certainly avoid political polarization because then you're splitting you're splitting your audience exactly in half unless that's your strategy yeah. you know if your strategy is i only want these kinds of clients and i don't want the other side whatever side that is well that's okay you you can do that um you have <laughs> you have full freedom to piss everybody off that's okay <laughs> right it's your marketing you can so would you say though, I mean, if you were getting started with this, maybe someplace to start is instead of throwing the rocks or definitely going into the political realm, maybe even just being more, more direct about who you stand for, or what, yeah. what kind of audience you're there to serve. Yep, absolutely. So I outline three core stories in the book that just about every business can tell. Like and that, that first story is your origin story of your business. Mm-hmm. Why did you start the business? Okay. And if you're not the founder, why did the founder, maybe it was 50 years ago. It doesn't matter. Like, why did the business start? Like, what was that? What was that nugget that got you going? Because people really love the origin story. Hey, where, Mary, where are you from? Where did you grow up? What school did you go to? Like, how big of a family you have? Like, like we care about those questions because that's part of what makes us human. Mm -hmm. If you ever spent any time in New York City, uh, you know, and I live in Montana now, but I, I used to live there, was everyone asks you, how did you get to New York? Like, what's your story? Because, you know, there's not a lot of actual natives from Manhattan. Like everyone got, they got there to New York from somewhere. It's like, it's like this giant business magnet. You go there for jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Well, great stories. It's a lot of ways of connecting with people. And it can be a way of connecting with an audience to start with that origin story and then connect it with what I call the vision. And the vision is what are you really trying to do in the world? Like, like, okay, if you're Elon Musk, you're, you're trying to make, you know, the human species, a multi-planetary, <laughs> a multi-planetary species. Okay. He's got this giant vision and he was talking about, you know, colonizing Mars before he built his first rocket, before he had his first engineer on staff, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the vision helped him raise money and raising money helped a lot of really smart people get interested in SpaceX. And he did something similar with Tesla. I think now that he's, he's in charge of Twitter, he'll do something with that. Um, And 
that vision story helped him build a business before he even had a product he could sell. Okay. So I'm not Elon Musk. No one else is. I'm, I'm not trying to get to Mars. I'm just trying to improve marketing results. Okay. What I can tell is I'm, I'm trying to help companies grow through storytelling. That's what I'm trying to do. And, and I try to convince them is that first of all, is you can use storytelling in your business. I always get, Oh, we're B2B. Storytelling won't work in B2B. Yeah, it does. I can give you dozens <laughs> of examples. You know what? There's humans in every B2B company. There's humans there. You can tell them stories. <laughs> I, I hear that all the time too. I want to talk about that for just a second. But I mean, what do you think that is about? I mean, why do why do they think that it has to be so cut and dry? Because I, I run into that on, on all the time. And I know you have a background in technology and software. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you hear so, this all the time. How do you help people get over that? Dan Kennedy has been talking about this since like 1975. Right. And it's everyone's, my business is different. No, your business is not different because he, it's, it's your business is populated by people yeah. and people are the same. And they've been the same for a hundred years, for a thousand years, for 5,000 years. Like we're not different. Okay. And, and I, I think the, every B2B company, for whatever reason, they think that because they're marketing to a business that has to be dry. It has to be professional and polished and we got to use supermodels. And, you know, it's like, I, I, I'll give you an example. I'm working with this SaaS company in Texas and they asked me to help, you know, we're going to do ads. Okay. And so I have, I, I've done dozens and dozens and dozens of ad tests for them in the last few months. Okay. Mm -hmm. And their team put together ads and they're all polished and beautiful and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, multi-ethnic and blah, blah, blah. And I, I came back like, these ads are just terrible. I mean, like, these are the worst. It's just canned. I was like, this is the worst. And so I, I challenged them and I call it the ugly ad challenge. <laughs> and I, I went and I got some stock photos, the ugliest photos you've ever seen. And I wrote copy for those ads and I ran my ads directly against their exact audience. And my ads were like, way better. Like not like 5% better, not 10%, like 70% outperformed because they were ugly because they stood out because they were different. And they told a story and they're like, like, how are you doing? I was like, cause I know how to market. I know what drives behavior mm -hmm. and it's an emotional response, mm -hmm. you know? And, and I, I'll give you an example. Um, family owned hotel in New York city. And they were like, Hey, we don't have any money, but we need to grow our social media. What do you, what do you suggest? I was like, okay, we gave it some thought, gave it some thought. And I'm walking through the hotel. And I'm like, man, there's a lot of families here. You guys like a, a lot of families stay at this hotel. And we came up with this whole campaign. We called it the sleeping baby campaign. And what we did is we just got these, these little like three to five second clips of a puppy falling asleep and falling over a little kitten falling asleep and face goes into the food, you know, and a little baby's like sitting on a couch and he's got a ball and he falls asleep and just falls over, you know? And I, I actually somewhere, I tried to dig it up. We didn't include it in the campaign. I had a, I had a picture of my son when he was like seven months old and he's in one of those, um, those bouncy things. It was like, it's got this thing that hangs from uh, the door and like he yeah. bounces, just bounces and bounces and bounces. Well, my son was like this lunatic and he would bounce for hours at a time happy as happy can be. And then 
one second he's like bouncing 100 miles an hour and he would just instantaneously just fall asleep and just fall over right in his bounce <laughs> just exhaust himself just exhaust himself and just fall asleep hilarious right so we spent 300 bucks on just boosting the posts put it on facebook and we released one a week for 3 weeks mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of likes and shares visits people commenting i mean just went nuts right and at that time it, their their facebook so this is this is a funny thing. Their Facebook following in the tri-state area in New York doubled in a three-week period. And they already had a big following. It, it doubled in three weeks for 300 bucks. Now, we look back at that campaign and like, how did it happen? Well, primal urges, who, who chooses the hotel you go to? It's mm-hmm. it's the wife. She chooses. The husband's like, yeah, yeah, whatever you want. you know. And women make 90% of all the buying decisions for family vacations. It's just how it is, right? It's just the demographics of it. I I didn't make that up. You didn't make that up. That's just the reality of it. Mm -hmm. So we marketed to women. What do women love? They love babies. They love kittens. They love puppies. And it got attention. It, It struck at a primal nerve of every mother and grandmother in the whole world. And that campaign went nuts and it did really well. We also got, no, this was really funny too. We got some crazy troll people who came on that baby almost fell off the couch. How dare you? (laughs) You're always going to get the trolls, right? I mean, Oh yeah. Yeah. If you're getting trolls, you're probably doing something right. (laughs) You can't escape from it. Right. And like, so one of the owners like messaged me, we're getting negative comments. I was like, Hey, listen, I was like, Mark, stop, stop reading the comments. My team will delete them. Like, just don't worry about it. Um, you, you just there, you cannot make everyone happy. <laughs> no, I could put a picture of a rose in a field and they would be like, that's a hybrid rose. <laughs> it's, it's hurting the environment. You know, it's not some, native. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some crazy person out there. It's a rose. It's a beautiful rose. That's it. <laughs> there's no secret agenda here. No, absolutely. Well, my, if you, if you follow any of my stuff, I talk about my husband and his restaurant all the time and he'll serve, he'll have 60 people in for dinner. He'll have 59 people say the exact same dish is amazing. And then there's always the one person who's like, not enough salt, too much salt, undercooked, overcooked, right? Right. There's always, there's always some people who are not going to get your thing. And that's actually going back to what you were saying before about you're doing something that's defining your audience, right? Because now you understand your tribe and that person is not part of your tribe and that's okay. Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, going back to the the Bud Light um, example is that that campaign could have worked. Mm -hmm. If it was a different tribe, right? You know, right. and it, it doesn't matter what you think about the issue itself. My only point is, a lot of campaigns could work if it was for the right tribe. If you were if you were focused on the correct audience, you know, if, if you're if you're in Montana and you're fishing for rainbow trout and you're in the Missouri River, okay. Well, you need to know where to go. You need to know what time of day. You need to use the right bait. Yeah. If, if you're fishing for trout, you're not you're not using bait for a pike. You know, you got to <laughs> use the right bait. You, you gotta you gotta know what you're doing for your fish. Exactly. Go fish for the right people for your specific business. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. Absolutely. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andy, for spending time with us today and giving us a little peek into primal storytelling and what it can do for really any business out there, maybe especially for B2B businesses <laughs> who can really stand out from what the others in their category might be doing. So do you have any parting thoughts uh, for folks who are listening to our episode here today? Um, you know, I I put together a, a free gift for everyone who listens. Just go to primalstorytelling.com slash podcast. Perfect. And we'll yeah. definitely make sure to include all the links with this episode as well. So. Yeah, you can get a free copy of the book um, and seven video bonuses on like how to apply it and some case studies and things. And, you know, I, I want I, I want people to use the system, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's one of those where I'm just so just exhausted with bland corporate marketing. It's like, I, I want to build a tribe of primal storytellers that are going to change marketing. Like I want businesses to grow. I, I want marketing to be better. And so please let me know how it works for you. If you have questions, message me. I still answer all my messages. My assistant doesn't do that for me. Um, so definitely. Well, yeah, for anyone listening, write it down on your sticky note. That's why we call it sticky note marketing. That's your one assignment coming from this episode. Go, we're going to put the link directly to that page that Anthony mentioned uh, so you can get access. And I will highlight, he underplayed it a little bit there, seven audio video bonuses. So I've bought books before and you have the best of intention to read it and maybe you get the gist of it, but it would be so nice just to hear it from the author's voice. That's what Anthony's actually done for you. So I highly encourage everyone to go check that out because after watching those videos, I have to say that was an incredible gift that you've given your audience. So thank you for doing that. Well, I'm glad you liked it and I hope it was helpful. A hundred percent. All right. Well, thank you again, Anthony, for being here. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions about anything that Anthony shared today, we'll definitely uh, include his contact information. Like you said, reach out to him directly. Let us know what questions you have. And we're here to continue the conversation. So otherwise, we will see you on the next episode here at Sticky Note Marketing. Cheers. Thanks, Mary.